It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome into the virtual bible study this is the virtual bible study for december 25th 2008 welcome to the program we're glad you're part of it my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is here hello dad jacob great to be with you on the virtual bible study tonight look forward to a good discussion and hope that we'll be able to uh, do some Bible study that will be helpful to a lot of people because we're going to try to get it out in some different ways tonight. Well, it is a, a unique opportunity for us tonight. Uh, we do have a low uh, live audience. Hopefully we'll make up for that in those catching us on the podcast and the archive version. Yeah, we figured tonight our audience might be down a little bit. Probably a lot of people had a lot of activities that might keep them away from their computer screen tonight. And so for that reason, we plan to do something a little different. Uh, we, we had experimented earlier a few uh, well, a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, with putting a, a, a short video clip on YouTube. I think a lot of our listeners will be familiar with YouTube. And we put a little clip out on YouTube about the, uh, answering the question, do I have to be baptized? That was the question that we dealt with. And I was checking earlier today, Jacob, and that thing has been viewed over 500 times by people apparently maybe searching for an answer to that Bible question. So we thought that if we put some other information out there, maybe we could catch some other people who are in the seeking mode. And since we thought we probably would have a a low listenership tonight because of the specific day that it is, we would just try to do a program wherein we would do short segments on some different Bible subjects. Uh, YouTube maximum length of a video you can put up on YouTube is 10 minutes. And so we thought we would uh, just... uh, take on maybe four different short subjects and see if we couldn't uh, make some segments that we could then later post up to YouTube. All right, and uh, we have some more listeners coming online now, so if you're just joining us, we're glad you're part of the program tonight. And, uh, you know, uh, we want to talk about uh, some different subjects. Uh, we, we'll, we'll go ahead and list the subjects we want to talk about tonight. You can be thinking about it. You can be a part of uh, of the broadcast now and also up on YouTube we want to ask the question, what does the Bible teach about abortion? We'll take about 10 minutes and talk about that. Uh, that's a common question, and people are looking for the answer to that. And, we'll and talk you about could it. imagine that there might be some people seeking, uh, you know, some people maybe in some very serious uh, life-changing kind of circumstances wondering about abortion and seeking some answers to what the Bible says about that. So YouTube might be a place they'd go to look. We might be there to give them an answer. So well, we if you'd like to be a part of that answer and you'd like people to know what you believe the Bible teaches about that, you can join in on the discussion now. And then in about 10 minutes from now, we'll talk about homosexuality. Another one, Dad, uh, that is very common in the world today. Uh, a lot of people wondering, what does the Bible teach about homosexuality? It is becoming more uh, accepted, unfortunately. We'll talk about what the Bible teaches about that. Again, you can imagine some people be seeking that. Then we want to deal with one that's going to be coming up here in just a couple, three months. A lot of teenagers, a lot of school, high school students are going to be making plans to go to their high school prom. We're going to ask the simple question, can I go to the prom, look for a Bible answer. Really, we're going to be talking about the broader question of dancing. Does the Lord 
approve or disapprove of modern dancing. That, we, we want to make about a 10-minute segment on that subject. All right, and then at the end of the program tonight, we plan on talking about uh, denominations, Dad, and asking the question, is one church as good as another? Uh, does yeah. it matter what church I'm a part of? That's an important question. A lot of people should be seeking the answer to that, uh, and I think people are, but uh, it should be a, a question of greater interest than it even is. We need to know, is one church as good as another? Are we free to make our own preferential choices in such matters? We want to talk about, is one church as good as another? Yeah. So those are the four questions. And we, they don't, I don't think they're related at all. I think each one of them is. Everyone's, sta- everyone's a standalone question. So if you have a short attention span tonight, uh, this is the program. Yeah, this you. is a program for sh- people with short attention spans. And we'd like your input. We've got some already, and we'd like to get some more input on all any or all of those four points. But tonight especially, you got to keep your answers real brief. We need just quick little points. Make your point. Give us the Bible verse that, that backs your point, and uh, then we'll try to include that. If we can, we may not get to all of them, but if you'd like to if you've got an especially insightful comment, we'll try to use it. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Call and be a part of our program, or send your emails to questions at collegeview.com. And I was just checking the, the screen here, Dad, and uh, this is somewhat coincidental, obviously. But you're wearing a red shirt. I'm wearing a green shirt tonight. Well, that is totally coincidental. Uh, maybe, maybe I don't know if that's appropriate or inappropriate, but uh, that's the way it worked out. We look forward to hearing from you on the program tonight. We're going to talk about these important subjects again, broadcasting them on YouTube tonight, so that we can put those out there and people may be searching for questions. Let me give those four. To- let me give those four topics real quickly again, Jacob. We're going to talk about abortion, homosexuality, dancing, going to the prom, dancing, and number four is one church that goes to another. So give us. Give us a quick one-liner on any one of those subjects or all of those subjects, and we'll try to work in if we can as we go to do some quick little YouTube videos. All right. You want to get into the first one? Let's do the first one. Let's do the one about abortion. All right. If we can cue the one. So monitor. what we're going to do, what we're going to do each time, Jacob, is we're going to just sort of intro this to someone who's not familiar with the virtual Bible study. So those of you who are listening live tonight and those of you who may listen to the podcast or uh, audio archive of this, realize that we're going to enter ourselves quickly uh, for each one of these segments. All right. Uh, Hi, I'm Jacob. And I'm Greg. And we're the regular host of the Virtual Bible Study, a weekly Bible study program conducted over the Internet, exclusively over the Internet. We deal with a wide variety of Bible subjects, and we invite listener participation in all of our discussions. You can hear our program live every Thursday evening at 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central Time. If you'll go to our website, www.thevirtualbiblestudy.com, and follow the link to hear our program via the live audio stream. We also stream live video, and you can also find out more information about our podcast if you'll visit thevirtualbiblestudy.com. One fr- question that is frequently discussed, Dad, is the question about abortion. And the, the wanting to know what does the Bible teach about the subject of abortion. It's an important subject because we believe there are human lives involved. I think that's right. It's a very important question that everybody ought to know what the Bible teaches about it. I'm I'm afraid a lot of people are ignorant of what God thinks on this subject, and there are even a number of religious people who would argue in favor of abortion, or at least some degree, or or some kinds of abortion. But I believe that the Bible is very clear on this, and we could go back to the Old Testament to point out the fact that God has always demanded a reverence for human life. In Genesis chapter 9, And verses 5 and 6, just after the great worldwide flood in the days of Noah, God uh, spoke about how we should reverence human life when he said in Genesis 9, verse 5, 
Surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed for in the image of God made he man. There God spoke about reverence for human life. And so the question when we talk about abortion, Jacob, becomes the question of is a baby in the womb, is a fetus in the womb, to be regarded as human life. If it is, then God's principle is that human life is sacred and should be uh, kept in reverence. All right. Well, that is the, that is the issue. Is uh, is a an unborn child actually referred to as a human in in the Bible? We find that he is in Genesis chapter twenty five. A few chapters later, from the one you referenced, Dad, Genesis twenty five. <coughs> Beginning verse 21, we have the story of Jacob and Esau. And verse 21, and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived, and the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. There, God refer- or the, the Bible references the two unborn as children. Exactly right. I think another place in the Old Testament that clearly shows this is Exodus 21. Look in Exodus 21 at verse 12, and it repeats, He that smiteth a man so that he die, he shall surely be put to death. So that teaches the idea of capital punishment or the death penalty for those who would commit murder. But in the very same chapter, if you skip down to verse 22, if men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Notice here, if if a woman, a pregnant woman was injured, if some man caused her to be injured but she did not lose her child or if a miscarriage did not result he would still be punished but if a miscarriage resulted then he would be punished in kind for the injury that was caused life for life in other words if a miscarriage ensued and the baby's life was lost he would be punished just as though he had killed a living man if he if he caused an injury that resulted in the death of an unborn child, he would be punished in the same way. I think that's pretty clear reference. Well, you, the the penalty for the the, the death of that uh, infant in the mother was the same as if the infant was in the mother or out of the mother, and that is that is very consequential as we talk about this. How does God view the unborn the child? Question. The question is, what is, how does God view it? And he views them the same. Born or unborn. You know, it's interesting. Our legal system does as well. You remember the story of Scott Peterson? He killed his wife who was pregnant with a child. He was guilty of murder for two people there. That's right. Uh, the, the legal system views it the same way in that case, doesn't view it the same in the case of abortion. Though. Well, there's real inconsistency there, and I think a lot of even legal experts have pointed out that inconsistency. But God is consistent. We referenced some Old Testament stories, Jacob, and a good one in the New Testament to show how God regards a baby in the womb, an unborn child, uh, is to look at a reference in the book of Luke, in chapter 1 of Luke. And one of our regular listeners to the virtual Bible study, Don in Antioch, Tennessee, said the, the, the Bible says the babe leaped in her womb. So it calls a fetus, if you like, uh, a living being. And that is that reference is Luke chapter 1, verse 44. Uh, here's a case where 
Mary, the mother of Jesus, was pregnant with Jesus, but she, but he hadn't been born yet. But she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who at the time was pregnant with the one who would become John the Baptist. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 44, Mary comes in and Elizabeth said, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. That's Luke 144. The word for babe there is the Greek word brephos, and it is used to reference the babe John the Baptist while he was still in his mother's womb. Now, take that and go one chapter later in Luke, in Luke chapter 2, verse 16, after Jesus was born, and it speaks of the shepherds coming to see him, and it says they came with haste, Luke 2, 16, they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. The, the word babe, there's the same Greek word brephos. And so it's interesting, by inspiration, the Holy Spirit used the same word to describe the babe in the womb and a babe already born, same word. And I think that makes a good argument for the fact that God regards that as a, the babe in the womb as a living soul. You know, in this discussion of abortion, there is a big uh, discussion about when does the child become a child? When does it become a human? And in the same account that you referenced there in Luke chapter 1 of John the Baptist, notice in verse 36, Elizabeth, and behold thy son, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. At the time of conception, she had conceived a son. That's right. It's interesting to remember that Luke, who recorded those words by inspiration, of course, but Luke was a physician. And as a physician, the Holy Spirit inspired him to record words that make a point, I think, about when uh, God regards a being as a living being. And it's, I believe the Bible would indicate from the point of conception. All right. And finally, maybe one more point before we end this quick discussion about abortion. It's really an important subject, obviously. In Second Timothy chapter 3, Beginning verse 1, the Apostle Paul speaks about perilous times that shall come. And he mentions some terrible things. Men would become terrible in many ways. He says, men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. He says, truce breakers, false accusers, and so on. And he says that uh, these have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. The expression there, without natural affection, is an important one. There should be a natural bond between a mother and child. And anyone, mother or father, who could kill a child in the womb is lacking that natural affection. And, of course, the Bible speaks about men getting to that point of corruption in their lives that they wouldn't even have the natural affection that they ought to have. All right. Well, let's talk quickly, Dad. There may be someone listening to or viewing uh, this video who uh, is pregnant with a child, uh, maybe out of wedlock, maybe uh, in unfortunate circumstances. What do we say to that person who is uh, faced with that uh, challenging situation, no doubt, facing a child that was unplanned, uh, maybe in difficult uh, times? What what kind of uh, instruction can we give? Well, we're not denying the fact that people get in some difficult circumstances, but killing the child is not the answer. There are other options available, and we would certainly encourage anyone in that uh sort of predicament to seek other options killing the unborn child is not the right option. it's not a loving thing to do it's not there, loving and it's sin it's a sin clearly a sin it's god equates it with murder and so we're going to do the right thing 
and it may be difficult to do the right thing. But if we will do what God wants us to do, he's promised us to bless us, and he's promised us that he will assist us in that effort. That's right. Now that, So that's some thoughts uh, that the Bible gives on the question of abortion, and we hope it's been helpful. If you're seeking some answers, we hope that you'll uh, pursue more uh, information and pursue some other options, but certainly not abortion. And you can contact us at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, if you have any questions along this subject or if you have any Bible question that you'd like to discuss, we would encourage you to contact us. We'd love to hear from you. And we invite you to listen to the Virtual Bible Study every Thursday night on the Internet. It's at 9 p.m. Eastern Times, 8 o'clock Central Time. And again, the address is thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Thank you for viewing our video. Thank you. All right. Well, there's the question of abortion, and we hope that you benefited from listening to that. And uh, we didn't have anybody take us up on our offer to call us during that segment, Dad, or send an email. But we do welcome your call at 877-381-4567 or send your emails to questions at collegeview.com. We're running a little behind for a break. We'll take that break. We'll get our thoughts together, and we'll go on. What we're going to do, too, on our breaks tonight, Jacob, we're just going to do some Highlights from some bullet points of the past. You know, this is the last virtual Bible study for 2008. And so this will sort of be the retrospective. We'll have the best of the bullet points points. from 2008 and you for your listening pleasure tonight. We'll take a short break and we'll be back on the other side to take up the question of homosexuality, another topic that is very common in the news. And a lot of people wondering about homosexuality. What does the Bible teach? We'll take up that subject on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. Stock market investors have been nervously watching the daily news reports to see how their investments are doing. Even a slight increase or decrease in points can sometimes mean a gain or loss of thousands of dollars. And so those with money invested are very interested to know the latest market trends. While stock market investments can be a helpful tool in building up financial wealth, the scriptures teach us that our most important investments ought to be in a different realm. Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Matthew 6, 19 and 20. The reason for this emphasis on heavenly investments is obvious. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, verse 21. We need to realize that having our treasures laid up in heaven has advantages now as well as in eternity. Not only will we reap the reward of a heavenly home forever, but we will also benefit in this life. If our investments are in spiritual things, we'll have a great ongoing interest in them. Just as a stock market investor watches the market closely, we will carefully watch how things are developing in our spiritual lives. There will be a tendency to do the things that will increase our heavenly stock, and we will be on guard for anything that could threaten our eternal well-being. And if we should begin to struggle in our service as Christians, others will be able to call us back by reminding us of our investment. Hebrews 10:32 through 37. So, Christian, how are your investments? Think about it. That's this week's bullet point. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. And welcome back into the virtual Bible study tonight. We're glad you're a part of it on this December 25th, 2008 We do look forward to hearing from you as we're doing short little questions and answers about popular subjects 
And we're going to post those answers onto YouTube. You can check us out there, and uh, we would encourage you to do that. You know, Dad, we just played a, a segment there about Colossians 3, verse 17. All you, and all you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. And uh, we believe that means that we have to do everything we do by his authority. And that really is the purpose of the virtual Bible study. And that's why we're taking up these questions. We want to know what the Bible teaches on these important subjects so we can live our life in a way that God will be pleased. Well, uh, really, we have to do that. I mean, if 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 you back to the question of abortion, just briefly, you know, if if we were just seeking our own interest and our own and our own preferences, you know, someone might say, well, you know, it'd be preferential to me at a certain time, maybe to not have a baby or a child at an unwanted time or an unwanted circumstance. And and so, if we're just seeking to serve ourselves, you 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 might decide to kill that unborn baby. But if that logically follows, if we can do whatever we want and not worry about what God says and doing th- doing things the way God wants, then someone else could argue, well, in this particular instance and in this circumstance, I want to kill somebody else. I want to Sure, yeah, it would be beneficial to me to kill the the guy who um the neighbor who gets on my nerves. Yeah. Or maybe an old person who's hard to take care of now yeah. they've gotten old and infirm and so just, you know, do away with them. But if 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 you decide that you can do some things without the authority of God, then what what would be the limits? You could do anything without the authority of God. And so the consequences of that are not workable. That's why we've got to go back to the Word of God for all that we do and say in our in our entire lives, not just religiously, but in our entire lives. Certainly. Okay, we've got three more questions we want to get to tonight. Homosexuality, the prom, and uh, denominations. Is one church as good as another? We're going to go ahead and roll with the homosexuality question. And By so, the way, get it, you, can, you can still get in. As always on the Virtual Bible Study, we're fielding our emails as we go. So if you've got a thought, uh, we're going to deal with homosexuality here, but we're going to go to dancing, and we're going to go to is one church as good as another. So get us uh, an email if you want to get in on this discussion and be a part of our YouTube production tonight. All right. We're going to go to the homosexuality one now, so uh, stay tuned. Hi, I'm Jacob. And I'm Greg. And we're the regular host of the Virtual Bible Study, a weekly Bible study program conducted every week on the Internet. We deal with a wide variety of Bible subjects. Often those subjects are prompted by our listeners. We field their questions or comments, and we encourage our listeners to participate in the discussion as we talk about these important Bible subjects. You can hear the program live every Thursday evening at 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central. If you'll go to our website, www.thevirtualbiblestudy.com, and you can follow the link to hear the program with the live audio stream. We also stream video there, and you can find out more information about our podcast and our archived audio files. One question that is frequently asked on the program is the subject of homosexuality and what does the Bible teach about homosexuality? Well, I think it's important to go to the Bible because uh, that's where we find the true answers to all questions. Public or, or uh, I guess, popular thought on the subject of homosexuality has evolved a lot just in recent years. We see a lot greater acceptance for homosexuality than we used it to. Is, it, is, it is involving currently. We see it is becoming more and more accepted. In fact, now the common idea is that homosexuality is a, a group of homosexuals are being discriminated against, much like uh, the African Americans were discriminated against recently in our society. Well, that raises the question then. Are people right today, the, 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 the current view of homosexuality today, the acceptance of it, it, is that right? Or were people right some years ago when they rejected that as a lifestyle? 
But really, bottom line, it doesn't matter who was right about that. It matters what God says about that. And in the virtual Bible study every week, we try to go back to the Bible and find Bible answers to these kinds of questions. So what does the Bible say? About homosexuality. That is what we're about at the Virtual Bible Study. It's not our likes, our dislikes, our preferences. It's what God has said. And when God says it, that'll settle the question. We've got to adapt our thinking to what he has revealed. Exactly right. Well, let's, let's go to the Bible then and ask the question, what does God say about homosexuality? And I think that we can clearly see that homosexuality is regarded as a sin by God, and it has some significant eternal consequences. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning verse 9, the New King James Version says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. Notice it specifically mentions people who are not going to go to heaven, and it says among them homosexuals and sodomites. That seems to be pretty clear. It is very clear. You know, Dad, but there's one thing that we should uh, note that the people think that homosexuality is some kind of terrible sin. It is a terrible sin, but all sin is terrible. All sin required the, the, the gift of God's Son for the sacrifice for that sin included there in that list of the uh, homosexuality, uh, homosexual are the fornicators, uh, those who are having illicit sexual, homo, heterosexual uh, intercourse. That is, uh, is condemned as well. We need to make sure that's... Uh, exactly right, but notice... In that same context, the Apostle Paul says, but such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified. And so uh, these people had engaged in those kind of sins in the ancient city of Corinth, but they had they had repented of those things and turned away from them. This sin can be forgiven, but you can't continue in it. Just like you can't consent, continue in the sin of adultery, you can't continue in the sin other sins of fornication, you can't c- continue in the sin of being a drunk. It mentions drunkards there. You can be forgiven of any and all of those sins, but you've got to stop doing them if you're going to be forgiven of them. All right. And uh, so there's one passage in the New Testament that clearly condemns uh, the action. Also, we find another uh, condemnation of that in Romans chapter 1, where a lesbian intercourse and a gay intercourse is also condemned. In Romans chapter 1, beginning verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up to, unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And so we see there the action is condemned as well. Well, very clear. The language is not hard to understand. Uh, that activity is condemned. Exactly right. And it was so in the Old Testament, too. Uh, uh, one of our regular listeners is Pat down in uh, Harvest, Alabama, and he writes that the Old Testament is very clear in condemning homosexuality. He references two verses in Leviticus 18:22, Leviticus 20, and verse 13. Uh, One of our listeners, Anthony, writes in and says that homosexuality is a sin is one of the most unequivocally clear teachings of the Bible. And so that's uh, certainly true. And then uh, let's see, I've got one more reference here from a listener in Indiana. Uh, Bob says the bottom line of what's wrong with homosexuality is not that Two people of the same sex might love or share a relationship, a, a, a bond with one another, but it's the sexual immorality. He mentions a number of people who were close friends in the Bible, David and Jonathan, for instance, Ruth and Naomi. 
They were people of the same sex who had a close relationship with one another, but it wasn't sexual. It's not the fact that, that you might have a strong affection for someone of the same sex. That's completely normal, and many instances in the Bible refer to that. But the sexual immorality, the, the, the sexual activity that's immoral and condemned in the Scriptures. And so the Bible is really clear on the sin of homosexuality, and we've got to take our stand there. It's not what we might prefer. It's not what is uh, politically correct or popular in our culture. It's what does God say. Now, what about that? Are we unloving when we say that someone cannot be a homosexual and be in a right relationship with God? Are we unloving to say that it is sinful to be engaged in homosexual activity? Well, it's not unloving in the, in the sense that I actually think it's a loving thing to alert people to the fact that this is the way it is in God's estimation. In other words, we're not doing an unloving thing to warn them that the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, does not approve of that sort of lifestyle and that he will judge those who are guilty of committing acts of homosexuality and who do not repent of it. Now, we've already pointed out, and I think, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 uh, verses beginning in verse 9, which identifies homosexuals as those who will not go to heaven, but goes on to mention that in that city of Corinth, such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and, and by the Spirit of our God. Those people had obtained the forgiveness that God makes available. God hates the sin of homosexuality. In fact, in some passages, it's actually called an abomination to God. Leviticus chapter eighteen twenty two and uh, Leviticus twenty verse thirteen of the passages you recently referenced those De- Deuteronomy uh, chapter twenty three verse eighteen calls it an abomination and so God does not approve He will not allow it He will punish those who are guilty of it but He'll forgive those who seek His forgiveness through repentance and obeying the gospel. Now there are some in our society those in the Westboro Baptist Church are in the news a lot or have been in the past and we've interviewed them on our program, The Virtual Bible Study. They say that God hates those who are homosexual. We would say exactly the opposite. God loves those who are homosexual. He hates their sin, and he wants them to repent. But God loves those who are struggling with this sin, and he has given them instruction on how they can change their life and be pleasing to him. Uh, uh, We were referencing an email from Anthony earlier. He goes on to say, As Christians, we must not hate the sinner, but the sin... We must lovingly try to turn the homosexual from his or her sinful lifestyle, and that's what we would definitely agree and with. And as you referenced in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that passage teaches us you can change if, exactly if you're right. tempted with that sin. Exactly right. All right. So that's just some thoughts that the Bible has on the important subject of homosexuality. It's certainly a very timely subject in our culture, uh, but it's something that we read clearly about in the Bible, and that's where we need to seek our answers. All right. We appreciate you watching this video, and we would encourage you to watch and listen to the virtual Bible study every Thursday night at 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central. Visit our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. All right. Well, there's uh, two down, two more to go. We hope that uh, those have been beneficial to you as you listen, but we hope that you will take a minute to be a part of our segments as we talk about now as we go to our break and we'll come back on the other side we want to talk about the prom and dancing so get your thoughts together on that send us an email or give us a phone call 877-381-4567 questions at collegeu.com one more best of the bullet points of 2008 coming up these guys are doing all of the talking we need to hear from you call in now the virtual bible study continues right after this 
This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. There's a disturbing trend evident among God's people. We're seeing an increasing tendency on the part of parents to allow their children to do what they themselves would never consider doing. A few examples may illustrate the point. Too many Christians are allowing their children to go to movies that they themselves would never attend. Everyone realizes that movies in general have become more and more evil, and there's been a gradual shifting of the rating scale. Many films that would formerly have carried an R rating are now rated PG-13. For some reason, parents have decided that these are suitable for their kids. They're not. If parents don't help their children in choosing to avoid such moral filth, who will? And we can add the same warning about television shows and the Internet. We hear of way too many kids with TVs and computers in their own rooms, making their own decisions about what they view. This is truly a spiritual disaster. Another example. More and more Christians are permitting their kids to wear clothes that they themselves wouldn't be caught dead wearing. Shorts, swimming suits, halters, bare midriffs, and so forth are becoming common, not just among worldly folks, but by kids in the church. Here's the question. Parents, if you don't dress that way, why do you allow your kids to do so? When do you suppose they will acquire a sense of modesty and shamefacedness if you don't instill it in them now. Another example, there are many teenagers who are being allowed to attend concerts and other such events that are simply ungodly. Why do parents, who would be ashamed to be seen at such places, permit their kids to go there? Are you not worried about the corrupting influences? Parents, open your eyes. Look, think, where is this all headed? Where is it leading your kid? Where will they be in another 10 or 15 years? By then it may be too late. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, my name is Bob Tidwell, and I want to remind you that the Virtual Bible Study provides a great opportunity to use your computer for something good. So turn off the TV and gather your family around the computer each Thursday night for the Virtual Bible Study. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the Virtual Bible Study. Now, back to the program. And we, and we do hope that you will call in now and share your thoughts with us and with the world as we study various uh, subjects that are popular in the news today and in people's minds on the Virtual Bible Study. We're posting these videos on YouTube. Earlier today, we sent out uh, a notice to our update list and told them we were going to do a smorgasbord of topics. I hope everybody understood what we meant by a smorgasbord of topics. Just a variety of different subjects. We're doing short segments completely unrelated to one another other than the fact that they are Bible subjects, Jacob. And then we're going to try to, to uh, after the program later, probably later this week, try to post them up on YouTube and see if we can get some people to access them there and, and view the content and maybe learn about the virtual Bible study and become uh, – uh, exposed to the kind of Bible study that we do regularly every week on the virtual Bible study. So we've got two topics still that we suggested that we want to talk about. We're going to ask the question here in a minute, can I go to the prom? A lot of a lot of high school juniors and seniors are going to be thinking about the prom here in a couple of months, and it's a big deal. I mean, a really big deal. Uh, and I think that there are probably some uh, young people with, with some uh, – good consciences who might be seeking an answer to that question. They want to know, would it be all right to go to the prom? And uh, I think we can give them a Bible answer for that. That's what we're going to do here in just a minute. And then after we talk about that one, we're going to, our, in our final uh, short segment, we want to go to the question of, uh, is one church as good as another? That's, again, that's not necessarily related other than that it is a Bible topic that we need to know the answer to. All right. Uh, we'll go ahead and get into the question of what about going to the prom? And you can join in and let your thoughts be known around the world on YouTube if you'll give us a call right now during this segment, 877-381-4567, or you can send your emails to questions at collegeview.com. We'll go ahead and roll the video for the prom question. Hi, I'm Jacob. 
And I'm Greg, and we're the regular host of the Virtual Bible Study, a weekly Bible study program conducted exclusively over the Internet. We deal with a wide variety of Bible subjects, and we invite listener participation in all of our discussions. And you can hear the program live every Thursday night at 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central Time, if you'll go to our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Follow the link there, and you can hear the program. We stream the program live with audio and video, and you can also catch our program on podcasting. Uh, you can find out more information there on our website. We take questions from our listeners, and they sometimes prompt the subject that we study uh, on our weekly program. And one of the questions that is asked and has been discussed is what about going to the prom? Can a Christian or someone who wants to be pleasing to God go to the prom and dance? That's the question. I like the way that you posed it, Jacob. The question is, can a person who's really concerned about what God thinks go to the prom? If you're not, if you don't care what God thinks, then you're going to do whatever you want to do about any subject. But if you care what God thinks, then you've got to look to the Bible and find out what he authorizes. You can do anything and everything that you'll want, but if you want to be pleasing to God, you're going to live your life as he has prescribed in the scriptures. Exactly right. Now, on this question of going to the prom, or really what we're talking about here, Jacob, is the broader question is of dancing. What does the Bible say about dancing? And the problem is just a dance. It's it's the the dance of the year at most schools. It is it's the the social function of the year. But the question we've got to answer is what does the Bible say about the prom? Uh, and what does in more general way what does it say about dancing? So. Uh, Jacob, show me the verse in the Bible where it says, thou shalt not dance. You know, people look for that and people can't find it because it's not in there. Yeah, and I've had people say that. When we, when the question of dancing comes up, they people say, well, show me in the Bible where it says, thou shalt not dance. And we would answer just right up front, it doesn't say that anywhere. There's no place in the Bible where we can point you to a verse and say, thou shalt not dance, thou shalt not go to the prom. You know, the Bible doesn't say you shouldn't commit credit card fraud either. Yeah. You can't find anything about credit card or, or fraud. The, the Bible doesn't say that you can't go out and steal a car. It says you can't steal, but it doesn't say you can't steal a car. But, I mean, what we do is we take moral principles taught in the Bible and we apply them specifically. To our current uh, situation. Exactly right. So what we need to understand is that the Bible teaches that dancing is lasciviousness. Now, lasciviousness. Well, that's a $5 word. Yeah, well, that's a Bible word, and it's a word that we never use in normal conversation but it is an important word that we need to understand because I want you to notice in Galatians chapter 5, beginning verse 19, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, and it goes on to mention several other, including drunkenness and so forth. And it says, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So lasciviousness is a sin that will keep us from going to heaven. Now, we need to know what that word means. And uh, uh, let me reference a few uh, experts on Bible words and terminology. One says that lascivious denotes excess, licentiousness, absence of restraint, indecency, wantonness, shameless outrages on public decency. I don't know if that helps too much. But here's one from a pretty well-known Bible scholar named Thayer who says that uh, lasciviousness is wanton acts or manners, indecent bodily movements, unchaste handling of males and females. I think that last phrase there fits almost exactly with what modern dancing is, indecent bodily movements and unchaste handling of males and females. Webster says, just a Webster dictionary definition of lasciviousness says, that which tends to produce lewd emotions. That's pretty clear. 
All right. And the argument has been made, and I think it is very valid. Uh, if you were to turn off the music, would a man and a woman who are not married feel comfortable doing the things that they're doing while the music is playing? In other words, does the music make those kind of movements and that kind of bodily contact? Is that what makes it okay? Most people would say it would be embarrassing and wrong for people, unmarried people to, to be involved in those ways if there was no music playing. Yeah. But somehow the music is supposed to make it okay. It's lasciviousness. It produces uh, uh, lust and lewd emotions in those who participate. It's lasciviousness, and it has to be avoided. So when somebody says, where does the Bible say I can't dance? Where does the Bible say I can't go to the prom? Well, we would say it says it. In places that condemn lasciviousness, like Galatians chapter 5 there, beginning at verse 19, that lists the works of the flesh. First Peter chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, is another passage that uses the same word and tells us that uh, we've done that in the past, but we, if we're going to be pleasing to God, we need to cut that out in the future. First Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 3, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excessive riot, speaking evil of you. There is a, There are two words there, Dad, that really are pertinent to this discussion, lasciviousness and lust. Those things were how we lived at, before we were Christians, but now that we're trying to live for God and how he wants us to live, those things cannot be a part of our life. Well, someone might say that, the prom, in particular, is a special thing. It's a once-in-a-lifetime. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a young person. Maybe it'd be okay to make a special exception for the prom since it's just it only happens once in a person's life, and maybe we should just take the opportunity to do that since you don't have that. I tell you what, I think that's that probably is true. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but for those who are interested in pleasing God, think of it this way. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to take a stand for what's right, to stand up and 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 do a, a, a right thing and set a proper example. It is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You're going to fail the test or pass it. I think that's a good way to look at it. There's some passages that tell us when it comes to being tempted and, and going to dances, including the prom, just going to put us in a strong place of temptation. We're supposed to flee from temptation. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 it says, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We're supposed to flee from things that would cause us to have feelings of lust in our heart. Going to a dance, instead of fleeing from it, is actually running toward it. And you're just putting yourself in a place of temptation. We understand the terminology flee when it comes to physical dangers. When there are physical dangers around, we get as far away from them as possible. In spiritual matters, we need to do the same. And that is especially important for young people as they're tempted with those thoughts and those desires to flee from them, as the instruction to Timothy there in 2 Timothy chapter 2. One of our regular listeners to the virtual Bible study is Don in Antioch, Tennessee, and he writes concerning going to dances and going to the prom. He says, no, Christians ought not to go because they are to be modest in their talk, actions, how they dress, and they should avoid the appearance of evil. There he, there he's alluding to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, which says, abstain from all appearance of evil. We're supposed to let our light shine, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In other words, set a good example. And those would be additional reasons why that a person interested in pleasing God should not go to the dance should not go to the prom or any other dance. 
And I, I believe that's a clear Bible answer to that question. Well, that is what we look for on the virtual Bible study. We want to go to God's Word and find out what He teaches there for us so that we can live a life that's pleasing to Him because we know that we can't make up the way of ourselves. We know that we need help from above. We need guidance from our Creator. And so every week on the virtual Bible study, we look to the pages of God's Word to find out His instructions for us, and we try to apply them to our lives. And we invite you to listen to the virtual Bible study every Thursday night on the Internet at 9 p.m. Central Time, 8 o'clock, excuse me, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Central Time. And the address again is thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Thank you for watching our video. All right, well, there's the dancing question and one more question to go. We have time for you to get in on the discussion. Denominationalism, is one church as good as another? We see that. Uh, we The phrase may be less popular than it used to be, but the phrase was very common at one point. Attend the church of your choice. Is one denomination as good as another? We'll talk about that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. The dictionary defines the word justify to mean, quote, to defend or uphold as blameless or right, to declare guiltless, absolve, acquit. When it comes to our soul's condition, there are two very different ways to approach the business of justification. The first way is by means of the soul-redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. When we humbly acknowledge our own sinfulness and in true faith obey the commands of God, we are, quote, justified by his blood and shall be saved from the wrath through him. Romans 5, verse 9. Those who do not find real justification by God's plan often follow another route that we refer to as, quote, self-justification. This is not new. Many men, past and present, have made such efforts. Several common tricks are employed when folks try to justify themselves. They will, for instance, ignore the problem. Some seem to think that if they don't acknowledge they're wrong, it will somehow disappear. It never does. Or men may try to deny their sin. Their, quote, heart is wax gross and their ears are dull of hearing, Matthew 13, verse 15, and the sin remains. Or perhaps a man might try to make excuses. When their failures are discovered, men will frequently describe the extenuating circumstances that led to their sinful words or deeds. In reality, an excuse is an admission of fault and does nothing to truly justify the sinner. Some try to blame others. This approach is as old as the very first sin. Adam blamed Eve, Genesis 3, verse 12, and millions have imitated his fruitless effort to shift blame. Yes, others sin, and sometimes their sins have an impact or influence on us, but such things never justify us to go against God. Finally, some will even try to blame God. Adam tried this too. He was wrong, and so is everyone who tries this. God has always desired what is best for us, and his laws are designed for our benefit. Deuteronomy 6, verse 24. We all need justification. Be careful not to be deceived by self-justification, but rather seek true justification by obedience to God. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. Hi, my name is Zach Coleman, and when I'm listening to the virtual Bible study, I love to hear comments from other listeners. So please join in tonight's discussion by sending an email or by making a phone call. The address is questions at collegeview.com, and the phone number is toll-free, 877-381-4567.
For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The Virtual Bible Study continues. And welcome back into the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad you're part of it. We're taking short questions and answers tonight, and we're posting those videos on YouTube so that we might be found there and people might find answers to some of their questions that they're searching the Internet for. The last question we want to talk about is the question of denominationalism. Is one church as good as another? And as we've been playing the best of the bullet points from 2008, I see that we started those bullet points back at the beginning of February. We're coming up almost on a year, a year of those good thoughts from you, so we appreciate good. those. Good. All right, we're going to go to the question of denominationalism. Is one church as good as another? So join in on the discussion at 877-381-4567. Send us an email. We'll try to work it into our discussion here in this last segment. We're doing these brief, and YouTube only lets you do a maximum 10-minute long uh, video. So we're trying to make four 10-minute videos tonight. And we've got just a few minutes left after we do that 10 minutes. We need to talk before we end the program tonight about the free Bible reading calendars for 2009. Yeah, don't want to we haven't about talked that. about those yet. Yeah, we'll do that. All right, we'll talk about those. All right, let's begin uh, the video for the question of uh, denominationalism. Hi, I'm Jacob. And I'm Greg, and we're the regular host of the Virtual Bible Study, a weekly Bible study program conducted exclusively over the Internet every week. We deal with a wide variety of Bible subjects, and we invite listener participation in all of our discussions. You can listen to the program live every Thursday evening at 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central, if you go to our website, www.thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Dot com. That's thevirtualbiblestudy.com. You can follow the link there and hear the program via our live audio and video stream, or you can catch us on our podcast. Find out more information at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. On the Virtual Bible Study, we take questions from our listeners, and one question that we have discussed in the past and is a question that many people have uh, concern about, is one church as good as, an, as another? There's a lot of different denominations in the religious world today. Does it matter what church I'm a member of? I think that's a very common, it's a very common idea that one church is as good as another, and that when I decide to do something religiously in my life, that really I just have a, a, a huge selection, a sort of a potpourri, a smorgasbord, if you will, of choices out there. You do what works for you. Whatever I like is out there. I'll just go and pick one that I like, and one church is as good as another. That's a pretty common idea. We want to ask that. We want to challenge that thinking with this question: Is one church as good as another? And I, I believe what we're going to find out is that that's not a true notion. Although it's very popular, it's not true to what the Bible says. That concept has led to the religious chaos that is evident in the world today, and especially in America. Open up a phone book and find out how many different denominations you can choose from. That is chaotic, and that is not unity. That's not the unity that Christ desired for his followers. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus made a promise about building his church. He had just, uh, the apostle Peter had just identified him as the son of God, the savior of the world. And Jesus said, upon this rock, in other words, upon the rock of his identity as the son of God, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice the church would belong to him and notice that it was singular in nature. He said, I will build my church, just one. Jesus said he was only going to build one church. And in fact, the scriptures teach that there is only one true church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says there is but one body. And earlier in that same epistle, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, it identifies the church as his body. There's one body, 
The body is the church. Therefore, there is but one church. And that's what we would expect because that's what Jesus promised. He was going to build one church. I believe then that our challenge becomes finding that church in the world today. As you mentioned, Jacob, there's hundreds, thousands of different religious organizations we got to find the one true church for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said he was only going to build one, and the Scripture says there only is one. Which one is it? How do we find it? That is a good question. And, you know, there, if we leave it to human preference and human opinion on how we should worship and how the church ought to be organized, if we leave it to our personal opinion, we'll have a church for as many different opinions as there, as there are, and we have that now. The only way we can get back to the one church that Christ died for and the one church that he established and the unity that he prayed for in the garden before his death is if we will go back to the instructions that he has given us in his word. If we'll all play by the same rules, we can all be marching together and be a part of that one church. Exactly right. I think that's the key. We have to play by the same rules. The rules are those that are set forth in the New Testament. We're we're not free to pick and choose what we like, what what we prefer to do, and leave off what we don't want to do. But we have to be doing everything by the authority of the Scriptures. Colossians three seventeen. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. That expression, doing all in the name of the Lord, is an expression that means that we have to have His authority for everything that we do. If we're following creeds or human instructions, then we're going to be divided by default. By definition, we'll have different denominations because the Methodist creed is going to be different than the Presbyterian creed, and the Presbyterian creed is going to be different than the Lutheran creed. All of these different creeds are going to drive division and denomination. If we're going to lay those creeds aside, though, and we'll follow the Bible, we'll be unified. We'll be doing the same thing if we'll just live by its precepts. Exactly right. One of our regular listeners to the virtual Bible study, Don in Antioch, Tennessee, said there's only one true church. Now he says if you're talking about denominations, one is as good as another. In other words, if you're talking about organizations of men, if you're talking about departures from the truth, if you're talking about people who are not following the Bible, not even trying to follow the Bible, then one's as good as another. If you're going to depart from Bible authority, you can go any way you want to. But if you're going to follow Bible authority and have authority for what you do religiously, then you've got to find that one true church. What we've got to do then is look for some of the things that identify that true church. One thing, Jacob, would be that that has to be a church that began back in the first century because the church that we read about in our New Testament began in the first century. It began on the day of Pentecost as recorded in Acts chapter 2. We would Any organization that has its beginning point at some time later than that couldn't be the church that we read about in our Bible. The true church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ began in the first century on the day of Pentecost. In Acts so 2. that has some important ramifications for us. If we're going to be a part of that church, then we need to organize ourselves and structure ourselves and operate in the same manner that that church operated in the first century. We, that, that means our worship would be like that worship that we read in the New Testament. And the New Testament describes the five acts of scriptural worship. to be singing, weekly observance of the Lord's Supper, giving a free will offering on the first day of the week, prayer and preaching. These were the five acts of worship that were engaged in by that first century church. So we would be worshiping like that church worship. We would be organized like that church worship was organized. In the New Testament, every local congregation was independent and self-governing. There was no hierarchy of organization. There was no superstructure of church uh, uh, denomination in which churches reported to uh, officials in other places or higher up. There was, there was just a, an independent local organization of the church. We could talk about something as simple as the name that the church goes by. 
if it's going to be the church you read about in the Bible, it 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 have to have a Bible name. Uh, that that seems like a simple point, an obvious point, but. If you're looking at a religious organization and it doesn't even have a name that you can read the New Testament, then that couldn't be the church of the Bible, right? So we're going to look for these identifying characteristics, uh, sort of like if you were looking for a missing person. If you were looking for a missing person, you'd list all of of that person's identifying characteristics. And then you'd use those identifying characteristics to go out and try to find that person. And that's what we're saying here. If we're going to identify the church that we read about in our Bibles, we're going to find out what it was like, how it was organized, what its practices were, when it began, what it was called. And we're going to take those identifying characteristics, and then we're going to go out into the religious world today and try to find the church that fits that. We could go on and on talking about it, but you summarized it there. What we need to do is open our Bibles, read about the church there, and then we need to emulate that church today. And if we'll do that, we'll know that we have the church and we're a part of the church that Christ died to establish, and we're part of that body that he will save. And this is very important. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, All spiritual blessings are in Christ, and to be in Christ is to be in his body, the church. The, finding the right church is very important. And along those lines, that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. Every week on Thursday night at 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central, we go to the Bible, we study it to find out what God wants from us in our lives and how he wants the church to be structured. And so we would encourage you to be a part of that study every Thursday night, at 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central. And I, again, the address is thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Please join us each Thursday night. Okay. Well, that's the last of our videos. We appreciate you being a part of the program tonight, and uh, hopefully those questions were helpful. Likely a review for our listeners of those uh, subjects, but maybe you benefited from hearing those subjects discussed again. We have a few minutes left. Let's talk about the free 2009 daily Bible reading calendars. Jacob, I think this is the eighth or ninth year that the College View Church has published a a Bible reading calendar to take you through the whole Bible uh, in a year. And it's it's sort of a a unique uh, schedule that has five assignments a week. Instead of seven assignments, it has five assignments a week. And that gives you a chance, if you miss a day, to catch up. Even within that week, you can catch up if you've fallen behind. And it and it. uh, tries to read the Bible chronologically. In other words, putting the parts of the Bible together that go together. When you're studying in the Old Testament, as you're studying some of the historical narratives of the Old Testament, you'll also be assigned to read the prophets who were prophesying at that same time in history. I think that's a really interesting way to do it. And so we've got those Bible reading calendars, and we'd be more than glad to send you one or more. If you'll just request them, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and say, send me a Bible reading calendar or send me two, send me three Bible reading calendars. We'll be glad to send them to you. Just send us an email and we'll get one right out to now, you. Now, a majority of our listeners are listening in the podcast and may not have may not listen to this program until after 2009 has rolled around. Maybe they're a week or two in to 2009 that offer is good that even throughout the year sure and and the way that it is structured you can catch up and if you if you miss the the first week or two of 2009 you can catch up sure you can request a calendar and you don't have to follow the calendar that you've supplied Uh, you can do any manner of study that you want we do encourage you to study your bibles every day uh, there is so much that we need to be studying, so much we need to learn from God's will. We need to be diligent. We're getting an awful lot of input into our minds on a daily basis from all different sources. We certainly need some input from God's word on a regular daily basis. And so we're just trying to, to provide some tools that help make that possible. The, the Bible reading calendar, the virtual Bible study. We're just trying to put out information there that will help people 
get spiritual things, spiritual truths into their daily routine. And you may be thinking, you know, I do need to study the Bible more diligently, but I'll do that sometime in the future. Well, time's running out. I mean, you, you've got one less year to live than you did this time last year, and you may not see 2010. Get busy studying God's Word. Exactly right. We encourage you to, to do that on a regular basis. We encourage you every week to make the virtual Bible study a Thursday night priority. Make it a part of your study each week and get your family involved in listening to the virtual Bible study. We appreciate you listening in 2008. We look forward to studying with you in 2009. And, Dad, we do benefit. You know, hopefully our listeners are benefiting from this weekly Bible study. You and I are benefiting as well from studying with our listeners, and we appreciate them for joining us. Exactly right. We appreciate the opportunity to be with you each Thursday night, and we hope that you'll uh, continue to be with us and spread the word. All right. Until 2009, we will encourage you to put God first in your life. Study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.